Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Okay, so you heard me mention last week, and this is, I'm going to be able to work fathers into this message, okay? That's not the overarching theme. The overarching theme is in preparation for what you guys are about to go through this week. And I'm hoping and praying that we have another one of those weeks that, you know, it starts off at 20, 30, and then by the end of the week we're running. Do you guys remember the days we actually registered 100 kids? Yeah, that's possible. But how many classrooms do we have? Four? Three? Three? So if we have three classrooms, which we're counting the nursery, I guess, is, yeah, four counting the nursery. Um, we got 100 kids here. How many is that in the class? 25. I'm telling you, we've had some VBSs that have ruined some people. And I mean flat, just wore them out. Uh, caused health issues in some cases. It's just uh, so this sermon is going to be a, a lot about what we've got to look forward to, to this week, and, and it also with a theme from this week. I'll be able to work into this as well. It's kind of amazing how that worked out. The book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written uh, to combat really several different um, theologies. Okay, the book of Galatians was written so that the doctrine could be taught from the Christian standpoint that would actually put people contrary to what they were learning in the Greco-Roman pantheism. The polytheism, pantheism, uh, polytheism, many gods. Pantheism, God is nature. So that's why when you hear of, of Greek and Roman mythology, you hear about the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the water, the God of the earth. The God, there's a God for everything in nature. Well, that God for everything in nature was always brought into direct conflict. Now, in, in the time that the Apostle Paul was actually doing his missionary journeys, if you recall, as he was run from one town to the next, going from synagogue to synagogue, turning people's worlds upside down and getting people chasing for his life, finally got dangerous enough that Timothy said, hey, you need to go over to Athens for a while and let things cool off. So he goes over to Athens and it points out that in this city he finds a statue to every god that he's ever heard of. But then he finds this one that was a statue to the unknown god. So here's how paranoid the Romans were. Okay? If you gave praise or offering to the god of the sun and you forgot to give praise for the offering of rain... And it droughted all of a sudden. Then you made the one God happy who gave you the sunlight to grow your plants. But since you made the God who controls the water unhappy, it doesn't matter if you have sunlight or not. So they were freaked out about forgetting a God because they just knew if we forgot it, there were going to be some serious consequences from this. So what's Paul do? He walks up to the statue and he turns around and he goes, Hey, I see you guys got a statue of the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you who he is. So they're just really religious? Absolutely. God is nature. God is many. This is a direct conflict. When the Apostle Paul's running around Galatia telling everybody there's only one God. There's only one. And we're not talking about Paul running around 
telling the Jews who had grown up in Judaism. We're talking about Paul running around and telling Gentiles who were Roman citizens, who were probably born into Greco-Roman pantheism, polytheism. And he's walking up to him and saying, how many? There's one. No wonder they wanted to behead the dude. You know how much money they made off of, off of the Greco-Roman pantheism? And, and, and we've seen the evidence of it in Scripture. When Jesus cast the pig or cast the, the demons into the pigs, what did the pigs do? They ran off the cliff. Everybody was so appreciative that these demons weren't running around their town no more just possessing people. Nope. They were mad at Jesus for running them pigs off the hill. Now, how do we know they were Gentiles? Because they were pigs. Jews don't raise pigs, they don't touch pigs, they don't feed pigs, and they especially don't eat pigs. Okay? We also know that in that same region that uh, a woman had a demon and was cast out of that woman, and the guy who ran an idol shop got mad because you just took my demon-possessed woman that actually causes the affirmation of my idols, you're costing me money leave how many of you guys have ever done good things and not only was it unappreciated but it was punished what does that lead to i mean if i'm going to do good things for people and i'm going to get in trouble for it anyway right so here's where we lead into this passage of scripture whether you like it or not, in this country, we were bred into Gnosticism. Knowledge is power. Our culture is rooted in it. If you want a job, and I get it, some jobs require an education, right? But how hard is it in this country to get a job if you don't even have your GED, high school equivalent? I think my dad, <clears throat> I think he quit school fourth grade he wasn't dumb he wasn't dumb you see we go through now and and, and i get i kind of get some of the reasons but i think that we've blown it over i have people all the time like, why why didn't you just go and get your master's degree and because you know that's what God wants you to do yes because the first thing Jesus did when he showed up was he established he established the University of Israel. And when he went and called all these people to follow him, he said, first thing, though, you need at least a four-year. You could do as much as eight, and it would be better, but we're not going to have you do any work for us until you go over there and get that education. Again, I'm not anti-education, but we are a society that is built on Gnostic principles. Gnosticism also equalizes all forms of knowledge. In other words, it's not that a Gnostic doesn't believe in the Bible. A Gnostic just believes that the Bible is no different than the farmer's almanac. So they, they have to either bring God's word down to the level of other writings, or they have to bring the, the writings up to the level of God's word in order to make them equals. If you talk to a Gnostic, a Gnostic will tell you that they believe there could be a God. They'll just tell you there could be any of 150,000 of them. Because all of the information that they've gleaned, they take as fact. 
And I'm here to tell you, it's difficult in this world for us to be individuals who stay dedicated when you get kicked for doing things that are good for people. Right? Pretty easy to grow weary. Now, when I grow weary, guess what else I'm not willing to do? Not only am I willing to not put up with anything that's in my life, but I'm also not willing to put up with anything in yours. Ever been fed up? I mean, literally, the definition of fed up, right, means you can't take any more, right? Anybody ever been there? Are you nice to anybody when you're there? No. We carry an attitude at that point. Well, let me tell you what you can't do. Let me tell you what I can't do. Let me tell you what we can't do when we have an attitude. We can't push his plan and his purpose. We can't be individuals who are feet on the ground for him because we'll become distracted and we'll start. And and life does this naturally. We don't have to be going through a lot of things. Just habits in our life change. How many of you guys have changed a habit in your life and it caused you to do something like forget to pray over your meal? Or here's a better one. This one's probably more common. Lay down in bed at night with every intention, as you always do, to pray. You start to pray. Heavenly Father, Personally, I think there's no better way to go to sleep. Right smack in the middle of a prayer. But they probably need to be checked for, what's it called? Narcolepsy. If you look at the first part of this chapter, he kind of starts drawing some of this into context when it comes to uh, the life that we've been called into as Christians, the challenges that we face based on all of these other belief systems, and then who we're supposed to be as individuals within that circle. So take a look at chapter 6, starting with verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Christians are the only organization, honestly, that I have ever come across that commonly shoot their wounded. And it's easy for us. I mean, the whole renewing of our mind, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our mind is what gives us the ability to see the other side of the coin. We could have never seen that had we not had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you go back and read chapter 5, Paul spends a lot of time talking about what is it that's leading you? Is it your, your flesh or is it the Spirit that's leading you? In this first verse... They're talking about individuals. I mean, how many of you guys in here are, how many of you guys are in here imperfect? Any imperfect people in here? Preacher's got his hand up. It's okay to raise yours. We're imperfect people. And occasionally we'll not only be imperfect, but within our imperfection, we'll also be hard-headed. We'll justify, we'll plant our feet if we think we're right. But God's calling us to not look at an individual as if they're an individual who had failed and needs to be disciplined for it. Which is the way that the church that I'm aware of, not me because I've seen it too much, but the churches that I'm aware of that I've been in, they're bad about this. Now, will I remove somebody from their position? In a heartbeat. You know, it has to happen in order for me to remove somebody from a position. And this is a universal answer. 
Stop caring what God thinks. I don't care the topic. I don't care. Stop caring what God thinks. You stop caring what God thinks, then that concerns me about what you're teaching in a Sunday school class. I'm not going to teach a Sunday school class. Does that mean? No. You know why? Because whether they know it or not, I'm going to pull them out of that Sunday school class and I'm going to give them every opportunity to repent and be restored. And if those individuals are approached, repent, and are restored, they'll be right back in their Sunday school class before they know it. Because this isn't about destroying people. He doesn't say destroy such a one, which is, again, the practice of churches across the country. He says restore such a one. And how does he say to do it? Gentleness. With all gentleness. And then he gives us, he gives us a reason behind that. I mean, how many of you guys in here honestly think that you're beyond any particular sin? You think you're beyond it? You think there's, it's impossible, an impossibility that you could sin, and I'm going to say this, hopefully you know what I mean, a big sin. We've been called to need each other. This is a fact, and I'm going to point this out. And this isn't about me. I'm going to, uh, this is, it's, it's, a, it's an example for me, okay? But it's not about me. Are you more valuable to the kingdom if you're spiritually healthy or spiritually unhealthy? Are you more valuable to the kingdom if you are spiritually healthy or spiritually unhealthy? Which of the two? Healthy. People who are healthy spiritually are people who positively affect the kingdom. What about people who are unhealthy? They tear it down. Have you guys ever done something and worked hard at it and somebody come along and blow it? Isn't it aggravating? It's frustrating. The truth is all of us are capable of messing, messing something up. And we are more capable than I think that most of us give, us any, give, give ourselves any credit for of messing stuff up. Messing it up worse than we've ever messed it up before. So if I think, that it's, if I think I'm beyond your problem, then I'm going to assume an authority in that relationship. And the assumption of that authority means what? We're no longer equals. What structure is there in Christianity where the pastor, deacons, church members, people who work in the kitchen, nursery, Sunday school teachers... Are we equals? Yes, we're equals. Again, people say, well, you're the pastor. You're going to be held to a higher standard. That's my business, not yours. <laughs> you're going to be held to your standard too, so you take care of you. I'll take care of me. We'll all be good. But within that, there's still accountability that's necessary, right? I mean, I can't just say, I'll take care of me, you take care of you, and I'm just going to stay home five days a week and play Xbox all day. Right? If somebody catches me doing something like that, I hope somebody loves this church, their Jesus, and the kingdom enough to say, Preacher, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're not being very productive for Jesus right now. Because it's just a fact. It's just a fact. Now, do I think that everything that I'm running around out there and doing is making all the difference? Nope. Truth is, I think... I can go hang out stuff so that people can see information. Do you know who's coming to this Vacation Bible School this week? This is a fact. Who's coming to Vacation Bible School this week? 
whoever God wants to. Whoever he wants to. Those visuals help people. They trick, they, they, they put something, it's like, hey, that's a calendar day for something. But you can't force people to go to vacation Bible school. Now the truth is, if we're all focused and it was something that was laid out so that everybody kind of seen the structure, I get there's leadership that's required to do this. And in some cases we have, when things wasn't so crazy and chaotic, but you get healthy individuals who are healthy spiritually and you get a vacation Bible school that comes up, how much help handing out flyers do you think you need? It'll get done. It's going to get done. Because spiritually healthy people are not looking at their circumstances around them and allowing their emotional state to be affected by those circumstances. Our eyes focus on Christ. And if we're focused on Christ, then we realize the good that we're doing. One example of the difference. Ryland, up the hill down here, or up the hill up here. Can he drive you crazy? Can he? He can. He can drive you crazy. He knocks on the door every day, sometimes two, three times a day. He wants a sucker. Ryland, I told you, buddy, when I'm here by myself, you can't be coming in the church. You, I can't have a kid coming in the church when I'm here by myself. Not even going to go there. He still, I locked the door because he kept coming in. Now he stands at my office door and just bangs on it. Boom, boom, boom. And he will stand there and bang on it until I answer it. And you sit there and pull your hair out. It's going, holy cow, this kid's driving me nuts, right? You ever say, oh, I hope they don't come to VBS. There are some adults who know kids that that's whether they'll say it or not. They're thinking it. Oh, Lord, this is going to be a hurricane. Right? Because the truth is, and, and all of us do this, so it's not, even this pastor does it. We tend to automatically look at how things affect us. And we act based on how those things affect us. In order for us to be people who are genuinely going to be an accountability partner to someone, we have to have the ability to step out of that fallen human nature and to be able to see God's perspective. Because as I got aggravated one time at Ryland, more than one time, and God deals with me this way, I'm sitting in my office chair just boiling because I can't get nothing done, kid wants a cotton-picking sucker, and... He comes back in five minutes later. I need one for my sister. And God goes, have you met his dad? He doesn't have one. You met his mom? She's in prison. They're being raised by grandma. And grandma's grandma. They're not, it's not their job to provide discipline and structure for their grandkids. But that's where those kids are at. They've not had a man, excuse me, in their life who's put boundaries down for them. So we have to act gently to that. But what good am I doing in the kingdom? If I sit in that chair and fume because that little boy's gonna ask for a sucker. 
told you before, there was a lady that went to this church years ago. She was absolutely the thorn in my flesh. Could not do anything without being called Hitler, getting myself in trouble, just causing trouble. Eventually tried to get me fired as a pastor here. Over the years, I just cry to God. God, this woman is driving me nuts. She's so mean. She's mean to other people. She drives people out of the church. She's mean to me. Everything, everything that she does is poison. And God goes, what do you think the biggest reason is that you're here? Oh, instantly. Instantly broke my heart. Because his point was this. Are you here from the, for those individuals who are hungry? Those individuals who are, who are being fed? Those who are feeding themselves? Those who are growing spiritually? Are you really here for them? Or are you really something that's just assisting them with something that they have made a decision to make easy? Okay? Because I'm not knocking 95% of you, okay? Don't take it that way. Yes, I'm here for you. But God's point was, how miserable does somebody have to be day in and day out to be that mean to other people? Here this whole time I was thinking to myself, this is what she does to me. This is how this makes me feel. This is me, 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 me. And God occasionally turns us around and he says, yeah, but look at who she is from my perspective. And he gets me every time. Second verse. Bear one another's burden and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burden and thus fulfill the law of Christ. How do I bear your burden? Donna's a perfect example. Donna's burdened. She feels the responsibility to stay down there and take care of her dad, but she also feels her dedication and responsibility to do what she's done forever up here. So how do we take her burden? You call her. You send her a text message. You say, hey, we're certainly going to miss you, and it's going to hurt not having you, but you're right where you need to be. Don't second guess it. She needs to hear that stuff because that's bearing her burden. In other words, we see people with a load, and our desire should be to take it off, not to make it heavier. Not to make it heavier. There are people who come to me all the time, and they go, well, listen, you need to call my husband in here and tell him to do this, 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 and this. You really know how this works, do you? That's not even how this works. Every one of you in this place, hopefully, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us are a little quicker on the thought process than others. Some of us are a little bit more dedicated than others. Some of us, and all that's through personality differences. And you're going to find some individuals who accept Christ, and it's a rocket path to maturity. Then you're going to find other people who accept Christ, and it can take them 40 years to get there. So the fact is, you grow at your pace, whatever the Holy Spirit says. You hear me as a preacher, you come in here, you hear me barking on something out of the scripture that the Lord tells us to do. If the Holy Spirit's not convicting you about that, disregard it. I'm serious. 
Because anytime that somebody wants to hear, wants to make sure that you're going to hear something, what are they going to do? They're going to peck you on the shoulder. Right? You think God's any different? He's not any different. I stand up here and preach an entire message. And the truth is, there can be just as many actions that are opposite, are completely contrary to the person that's sitting next to you. Because people listen to a message, it's not the preacher going up, up here going, here's my point, listen to it, and keep it. That's not how this works. God says, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Preach the word, allow the Holy Spirit to do their work. He'll be the one that chooses the pace of your growth. Shouldn't be some guy who's standing up telling you, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do, don't do this. As pastors, as individuals who are even mature in a church, hopefully we know that everybody around us, regardless of whether they're children or adults, are on a path of growth. And God wants us to be individuals who are assisting that growth, not individuals who are holding it back. And we have to be mindful that the things that we do or don't do, they're accomplishing those tasks. I've counseled women who had been in bad situations with their spouses. Sit on the opposite side of the office. I stay a full office length away from them. And, and a lot of them won't just come and talk to me initially because they think what the world's painted out there, this preacher's going to come in with this big old thick Bible and just start beating her with it. When the truth is, exactly what they need to hear, of course, if they were the victim, the one that was absolutely hurt, understanding there has never, there has never been a situation where one or the other was innocent. But I can say that there are situations that escalate to the point that sometimes it's a it's a serious situation in the relationship, and it that act was not her fault. And people think that you need to push him. Oh no, God told you what you need to do. You need to forgive them and move on. Today! Is that the way we should be about that? Nope. We sit there and remind them about their relationship with Jesus. We remind them about the vows that they took. We remind them what the value of those vows are. I'll use my own life as an example with them. Just like you could do with you. The things that we come through in life make us valuable. But we can't push people to be anything that we want them to be. Allow them to heal and recover at Jesus' pace. Just be there to be the support for them when they need a little bit of extra lift. Be there and available and make sure that they know you're available if they lose their way while they're cutting through that jungle. I won't go much further, but verse 3 says this. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he, de he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. What's the problem with someone believing that there's something when they're nothing? Yeah. And it creates another elevation situation. In other words, we all have to stay equals in order for Jesus to be elevated, right? 
It doesn't say we're supposed to be elevated. It doesn't say we're supposed to elevate each other. It does in the sense of the relationship. But as far as them being set up on a pedestal, no human being deserves to be there. So anyone who actually says that they are something when they're nothing, deceive themselves. In other words, all these people who are going through the world right now, and how many power-hungry people in the world right now? When these power-hungry people show up into heaven and they find themselves standing before the almighty creator of all things, just how much power do you think that they're going to exhibit? That's how he deceives himself. And then reflecting on what you do, to be honest. Brother Keith, what do you do? Well, just in the last month, we've been prepping for Bates Creek Camp and Vacation Bible School and visitation and counseling, and I can go through this whole list of things, right? I sound like a pretty valuable dude, right? But if I was honestly to take a close look at that, who gives me the strength to do what I do? Who gives me the ability to do what I do? Who gives me the wisdom to do what I do? So truthfully, anytime we reflect on anything that we do, what's it going to point us to? God. This is the way you stay humble. This is the way we stay grounded. This is how we stay practical Christian individuals. And, and I'm sorry. I say that all the time. I'm sorry for what the world has done to the gospel. Because that world out there has been working for years to turn it into something that works for them. Get something straight real quick. And I want you to get over this, and if it causes, a, if it shakes your faith, I'm sorry. Kind of. Use it as a growth spurt. I don't know how else to say it. What you want don't matter. It doesn't. You can listen to Joel Osteen all you want. You give me the biggest check of the year, and God's going to bless you. Listen. Baloney. You want proof that that's a baloney? How many apostles? How many were martyred? And the one, no, 11. But the 12th one boiled in oil. Are you, all right, so you're either telling me one of two things. Either that somehow is a twisted faith gift, okay? Or according to what they believe, none of the apostles had faith. You ever have anybody do that? I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that funeral home. I'm right, in, I'm right in the middle of COVID. I ended up in trouble one time because I didn't go to a funeral, and, and the COVID was actually busting out in the community. And they're all like, "Hey, why don't you come over and come over and sit with 300 people in a building this size?" No thanks. I'm good. I'm good. You get in trouble for it. It's like where's the disconnect? I don't get it. I mean, there comes a point in life where God says, I gave you a brain. I mean, faith, for the, for the most part, doesn't God ask us for faith to be blind? For the most part? But let's be honest. How hard is it to be smart about what we can see? This passage of scripture goes on. I want you to read it in your own time says this, never grow weary doing good. 
That's the point. Yeah. Is ministry hard? You bet. Are you going to get kicked in the shins for doing things for people with the best of intentions? Absolutely. Is the devil going to jump on your back and saddle you like a bronco and ride you the rest of your life? Absolutely. But we should figure out that all of that chaos that Satan creates is to keep us from being good. It's to keep us from being good to our spouses, keeps us from being good to our kids, keeps us from being good to the lady at Walmart who had nothing to do with the fact that that tag was missing. See what I'm saying? When you live your life over a day, what kind of trail do you leave? Blaze t- a blaze trail of good time management? You leaving a trail of hell behind you? Or are you leaving a trail of glory? Because the truth is, you're leaving one of those three. You can't help it. Be good to each other. Be good to people. God called us to be good because it earns credibility towards his entire story and his purpose. Live for him. Give him credibility. Call yourself a Christian. Don't live for him. You take away his credibility. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, never followed through in believer's baptism, I want you to come up here and talk to me if the Holy Spirit provokes you. You say, well, I'm not sure what you mean by the Holy Spirit. You will. If he gets a hold of you, you'll know what it is. You'll say, oh my goodness, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. Your hands are going to want to grab onto the back of the pew, and you might leave fingerprints. I think for the most part, everybody I see in here, if I didn't baptize you, I know that you've been baptized and you're a believer. This week, it's going to get hard. There's going to be times that you're not going to have the material you need. I'll tell you right now, Diana's teaching. You know what that makes me? Acting director. Acting director. You know what I don't know? Vacation Bible school. (laughs) (laughs) I guess what I'm trying to kind of ease into here is I'm liable to make you mad this week, okay? (laughs) Numbers of kids, frustrations, those things are going to happen, okay? And here's the deal, and I tell people this all the time. When people show up to attend something, they have no idea exactly what's going on. Okay? As long as they have no idea what's going on, when you come in and you establish your first day, as far as they're concerned, it's a great vacation Bible school. (laughs) Because they don't know what it was that kind of got skipped or we didn't have the time to do or something broke that prevented us from doing it. They don't know that. So don't get frustrated when something like that happens because, again, when you get frustrated, what happens to your productivity? It's the devil, folks. He's doing everything that he can to try to rob God of what he's trying to do in these kids' lives. And as a teacher, and even as an acting director, same thing for us. If Vacation Bible School is just for kids, we're missing the point. Every one of us have opportunity to learn in this week. And one of the biggest lessons we got to learn is stay focused. Frustration is going to happen. Jesus knows they're going to happen. If you make a mistake, it's a good thing he forgave you 2,000 years ago for it, right? 
we move on. Do what you can to try to get a hold of me. I'll be somewhere. I might be hiding somewhere at some point, though, so I might be hard to find. <laughs> but if you're here today and you're a believer, just take the time before this Vacation Bible School starts, and even for life in, in general. Just take the time to sit down and ponder, am I as good to my wife as I could be? Am I as good to my husband as I could be? Am I as good to my kids as I could be? Am I as good to my church as I can be? Because the truth is, when I reflected on that, even though I can say I'm pretty good, I'm not as good as it could be. I mean, if, if you watch me walk around here, especially over the last like three days, those of you who came and decorated, don't pay attention to my expressions and my huffs and puffs because that's just how I react when I'm under pressure. But it's the truth. If, if we allow it to push us out of control, what's, what's the cost? Could be the soul of a kid. Could be the soul of a kid. So get frustrated. There's no wrong being frustrated. Just reel it in quick. Focus yourself. It's a lesson for life. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.